Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, January 29th, 2024. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So what's the word on round two interview invites? I mean, now we're getting, you know, we're kind of several weeks out now from those first deadlines. And and, and I guess I would love a prediction from you as to when you think Harvard Business School will issue their round two interview invites. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we are, like you say, we are seeing um, a few invites now rolling out for, from the schools that trickle them out um, over a period of time. So that might be Stanford for Yale, for Tepper, for um, several, several other schools. Um, yeah. But next week, um, Duke Fuqua um, will, will roll out its round two interview invites. So it's one of the schools that does it at one time um, and Harvard possibly next week Thursday or Friday they haven't announced yet but the last two seasons they've rolled them out February 1st and February 2nd and they're usually pretty consistent okay what will we'll hear they'll announce it through a blog post may have done that already by the time this um, episode airs um, but we're recording um, a little bit earlier um, last week so um, it hasn't been um, announced just yet. But yeah, I, I would imagine if, if Harvard doesn't roll out its interview invites towards the end of this week, it's certainly going to be the beginning of next week. Okay, got it. So we'll stay tuned for that. Um, as you know, we talked about this last week that, you know, I, I spent the, some time in the U.S. Uh, I wanted to mention I had a great time. I, caught, I went over to NYU Stern because I was in New York and I caught up with uh, Lindsay Lloyd, who's the director of admissions there, as well as um, some of her team members. Um, uh, and, and it was really just nice to see that program in action um, a little bit, you know, roaming the hallways and and had a nice lunch with Lindsay, who, you know, listens to the show. Yeah. Um, so, you know, <laughs> so, yeah, be careful what you say. No, but but, you know, she's yeah, yeah. And no, but actually she said some really um, gave some really good feedback, which was that she was talking about how um, she, you know, she thinks it's really fascinating to hear real candidates have their candidacies kind of dissected on the show and that even as an admissions officer, you know, she kind of enjoys kind of hearing that stuff. And so, yeah, that, that was good. So I, th I think we're, um, you know, the formula we have seems okay for now. <laughs> yeah. We'll say this episode is sponsored by NYU Stern <laughs> because we don't have a sponsor for this episode, right? So we'll just, we'll just right. pretend Fair. that it's, it's sponsored by N <laughs> and completely coincidentally, we're going to be talking about Stern as a, as a choice in, in the, um, in, on, on the decision wire post that we covered today. Yeah. I saw that you picked that. Yeah. That, so yeah, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So the other stuff I wanted to mention is we've got, um, the next clear admit plus event, which is basically an ask me anything with, with you and I, Alex. Um, and so that's February 5th and it's going to be at, at noon Eastern, we've been having so much fun with these. It's just once a month, you can come in, ask Alex and I questions about, you know, how things are, you know, how your process is going, anything you need to know about business school. So we'll do that. Um, we also have a bunch of events that are going to be rolling out across the month of February, um, centered mostly on younger candidates who are still in college. So these are deferred enrollment. So we're going to hear from, you know, schools like Harvard and Wharton, Columbia, Yale, et cetera. And then we have a set of events on master's in management programs. There'll be two of those events. And, and again, some top schools like Kellogg and Booth. Um, so stay tuned for more there. We'll get you links and everything, but it's still, still a couple of weeks away. So um, hang in there on that front. 
Over on the website, we did, on a related note, um, run a whole sort of refresh piece on the top deferred enrollment programs. And so we have like profiles, sort of short profiles of like 11 different deferred enrollment offerings with a lot of explanation about like how, how it works, um, who's eligible, and you know just some tips and things for, for getting into these programs. Um, so that, that should be good to, to check out if you fall into that category of you know being a current college student or someone who's working on a master's degree that you started immediately out of undergrad. And so you would be eligible for deferred enrollment. The other thing, Alex, we, we, um, I keep saying we're done with the Real Human Students series, but we actually still, there's still, I think, a couple to go because we did Harvard Business School this past week. So we caught up with five students from HBS. They're all first years in the program. And before I share a quote from one of them, which I thought was just really good advice, um, I wanted to just share some stats with you. Because we, when we run these pieces and, and talk about students in the class, we always share a little bit of background about like what the class looks like, right? So the class profile or whatever. And, and so one of the things that was um, striking to me is if I asked you um, what percentage of the current student body, this first year class at HBS, came from the fields of, let's say, engineering, um, business undergrad, so so studied engineering, studied business, or econ. Like, what percentage of the class do you think would fall into those three buckets combined? Are you putting me on the spot? I know. I'm just curious what, like, so so uh, en- so people were engineering majors, business majors, or econ majors. You could have you could have prepped me and given me the answer before we came on air. Maybe, I know, but maybe I- you look really smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just curious because this number was not what I thought yeah. it would be. I mean, I would say forty or fifty percent, but I don't know. Yeah, so that's so that's exactly what I would have said. Okay, this number for HBS is sixty-eight percent. Wow. Okay, so sixty-eight percent were either engineering, business, or econ majors in undergrad. And get this, another seventeen percent studied hard sciences. So you know, kind of bio or what you know, whatever else falls into that category. Um, and then twelve percent social sciences. And just four percent arts and humanities. So it's yeah. I, I don't know why I thought that the that it would be a bit more balanced, but it, it, that's that's what it is. So there you have it. <laughs> you you were in that four percent grade. I was in that four percent. Yeah, um, yeah. So and then the other thing I wanted to mention is we caught up with one of the students we talked to. This guy named George. He's a first year. Um, he's moved around quite a bit, but he considers Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, to be um, kind of his home base. And we asked him what would be one thing that you would change or do differently about a applying to business school. And he said, quote, one piece of advice I got from mentors who went through the MBA process before me would be to only have a select handful of people provide essay reviews. The issue with having too many reviewers is that sometimes the feedback is conflicting and your voice becomes diluted. I would say oftentimes the sweet spot is three, maybe four essay reviewers. Less is often more in this process. So what do you make of that, Alex? Yeah, no, really good, really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. We, we see that a lot. But back to Bethlehem, I, that's quite interesting. I remember when I was first studying business studies um, in, in the UK, um, that was a case study we used to look at on time management, right? Ah, okay. Interesting. Do you remember that? Well, I, I know, I mean, Bethlehem is famous for, you know, the kind of collapse of the 
what is it, steel and coal mine? I mean, yeah, it was yeah. a big, you yeah. know, mining area. Um, yeah, in fact, yeah. there is a, I'm not particularly a big fan, but there's a Billy Joel song about it called Allentown, because Allentown's the neighboring, you know, village or, or city that, that that also yeah. went through this really tough time. So anyway, yeah, that that was what I first thought of as that song when when I saw he was from Bethlehem. But yeah, they, yes. Yeah, yeah no, it, it was, a, I th- I'm pretty sure it was a Taylor time management um, um it was a big deal. Anyway, yeah, I'm talking about, you know, when they used to teach business studies back in, I don't know, 50 years ago when I was right. doing it. <laughs> Not quite yeah. that long ago, but yeah. Um, but yeah, no, really cool. So I went to visit Bethlehem because of that. Oh, wow. Interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so in any event, so he, yeah, so um, he had some, I really think that that is good advice. I would argue actually, like yeah. you don't want, you probably only want a few at most people looking at your stuff because you're going to get yeah, yeah. yeah too many too many cooks um, spoil the recipe. So and get uh, chat GPT to help you out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so let's see. The only other stuff I had before we move into our candidates this week is we had two schools publish employment reports for the class of 23. Um, the first school is INSEAD, and actually it's a bit more complicated with them because for them it's um, they had the they have two classes each year graduating, right? Because they have folks starting in, in January and then they have folks starting in September as well. So um, so this is like a combined uh, career report for those two classes. I guess what they're calling 22 December and 23 July classes. So these are the, I guess that's when they're graduating, right? So in any event, um, they had uh, 875 students across those two groups. 88% of these students had a job within three months of graduation. That number's off a tick. It was 94% last year. Uh, the median salary for these uh, graduates is 109,000 euro or $118,000. The signing bonus was on average $27,000. Uh, I won't give you the euros. I'll just keep it all in dollars to make things simple here. Um, in terms of where they went to work uh, sector-wise, management consulting, 61%. Uh, corporate sector, which is a category. Keep in mind, INSEAD doesn't, I don't think they follow the same exact rules as like the US schools, so they have slightly different categorizations. But corporate sector, which I presume is jobs at like big companies like GE or American Express, or I guess it depends on how they're categorizing this, but that, that sector got 16% of graduates. Uh, financial services, 14%. So actually maybe that's where Amex would fall, but probably more banking and things like that. Um, and then technology, media, and telecommunications, 9%. Um, what's interesting about these numbers, Alex, is that the consulting number, I said 61%, it was 53% last year. Corporate sector up from 13% to 16 And then financial services, more or less the same as 14 this year, 12 last year. The tech number, tech, media, and telecom was 22% last year. And as I just said, it's 9% this year. So a big drop in kind of tech placements. Uh, in terms of the geography, we see 35% going to Western Europe. That's off a little bit from 38% last year. Asia Pacific, 20%. That's down as well from 24% in the prior year. Uh, 18% went into Africa or the Middle East. That's up from 12. Uh, Southern Europe, 9%. That's flat. North America, 8% also unchanged. So Alex, what do you make of these numbers out of INSEAD? Well, I I mean, obviously the big the, the big numbers that um, that that really stand out is the average salary, and that's sixty one percent going into consulting. Because obviously, in 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 all the U.S. reports, the higher that consulting number has typically correlated with a higher um, average starting salary, because that's you know where where the cream of the crop yeah. um, goes, or or at least that's the high paying um, industry. 
But yeah, in Europe, I, I guess the top schools, their average starting salaries are significantly lower, mm-hmm. um, which I, I kind of knew, but that's there is a large gap. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, because we're we're you know we're seeing. I mean, obviously at the very top, we're seeing like one hundred seventy five thousand um, dollars at a lot of these you know kind of M seven schools. But well, you say M seven schools, we're going to talk about UT Austin. In a I minute, know and that's one hundred seventy five thousand, and they're. Yeah you know, in that top 20 tier. Yeah. So it is, yeah. So these numbers are lower. So we said 118,000 at INSEAD for, um, in dollars. Yeah. So it's lower. Again, I think the the salaries are, you know, if you look at where people are going to work, whether it's Western Europe, um, you know, APAC, Africa, Middle East, the salaries are lower than they are in the U.S. So that probably is skewing things a bit. Um, but I, you know, I don't think I've ever seen a, a number like 61% going into consulting. That's super high. And NCA is known for that. I mean, they are known for being a consulting yeah, yeah. powerhouse, but it's a big number. And I'm a bit ignorant of this, Graham. You might know better. But do, do they pay a different rate for consultants in different geographies? I assume they, yeah, they must they do. Yeah, yeah, so get this. Um, we digress a little, but like I had a classmate when I was at Wharton. This is many years ago, but it's very relevant to this story. So I had a classmate who was a French guy, okay? And his goal mm. was to, um, you know, he, he was thinking, come to Wharton and then go back go back to Paris where he was from and, and just work for, he really wanted to work for Bain or BCG or, or McKinsey. And, and he ended up getting an offer um, to, they said, you can, you know, you, you could work um, in Paris and they, you know, showed him the salary um, and at the time, you know, it was it was not what he was <laughs> expecting. I think it was like eighty grand or you know something like right. that. And this is going back a ways, right? But then, um, so he kind of kept himself out in the pool, and he ended up getting an offer from another one of the MBB firms to work in New York. I think it was like BCG in Paris for eighty grand, and then it was New York for like a hundred and some. Um, and and he was like, I can't, you know, he's like, I, I'm going to stay in New York. Like I'll I'll work there for a while, and then I'll eventually make my way back to to France. But so there was already a big gap. Um, it was at least like twenty k, maybe even more um, at the time. And I remember being sort of surprised by that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely out there. Um, all right. So but let's. So you were mentioning UT Austin. Um, uh, one other thing I'll say is I think that. You know, the tech jobs, we're definitely seeing this across the board. Tech jobs are kind of a little bit harder to come by. So we see that decline for INSEAD um, there as well. Otherwise, you know, they're sending people around the world and that makes sense. Um, right. With an emphasis in the two markets where they have campuses. So um, it's interesting with, how they split out Europe. West, what, what did they say? Western Europe and Southern Europe. Yeah, I know. And that, that, I don't know really what that. Yeah. I guess, yeah, Italy and Spain must be Southern Europe, right? Portugal. Yeah. 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 yeah, I don't know what why there's that distinction, but in any event. And no one to Eastern Europe. Yeah, I guess that's, yeah, actually, where does that fall? Well, maybe that's another category that they, it's not one of the biggest ones, so they don't list it. Right. Or something. I don't know. Yeah, I have to look more into that. Uh, so UT Austin, um, 271 students, so much smaller um, student body, obviously, um, each year. Of those 271, about 88% were looking for work because the rest were sponsored or starting up their own companies. Uh, and so of that group that was looking, 90.4% had jobs within three months of graduation. So pretty similar to INSEAD. Um, with that said, last year, that number was 95%. So we are seeing a little bit of that softness in the job market um, coming into play. Uh, median salary, $175,000, which you mentioned. Um, the That's way up. I mean, it was 140 last year. So they had a nice boost there. $30,000 median uh, signing bonus. And, you know, we'll get into the kind of industry placements here. Consulting, 43%. That's up from 30%, which probably explains the big jump in the average starting salary. Financial services, 16%. That's off a little bit from 18%. 
Technology, 15%. That's off from 32% last year. 6% went into consumer goods. 5% went into energy and utilities. Not really big changes in either of those categories. And then I'll just give you the regional placements and then get your take, Alex. We had uh, 68% going into the Southwest. That's down a little bit from 71 in the year prior. 13.4% went to the Northeast. That's actually up. It's almost doubled from like 6% and change last year. Uh, To the West Coast, they sent 6.7%. That's down almost by half. It was 12.2% the year prior. Midwest, 5.3%. That's up a little bit. South, 4.3%, pretty much unchanged. So there you have it for UT Austin. What's your take, Alex? Yeah, I mean, very surprised by this average starting salary. I know we talked about it in the context of INSEAD, but um, their average starting salary is comparable to sort of top 16 programs. Yeah. Um, sort of almost almost nodding on to the M7. So well done to them. And, and it, it, as you mentioned, it is a, a bit of a jump from last season. Um, their consulting, yeah, that looks strong, 43%. And, and I think you're probably right, that nudges up that average starting salary. And yeah, from a geography standpoint, I assume 68% going to the southwest is is pretty much texas texas yeah Um, and (laughs) yeah if you want to work in texas um ut austin has to be um one one of one of your one of your target schools no matter where where you fit in terms of what tiers you're looking at um they've got to have a really strong alumni um, base there um, they definitely skew really strongly to uh, as a very regionally um, um, focused. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, the, the, very well done to them. Yeah, the only other thing that jumped out at me, and again, this is something that we saw with INSEAD as well, is this drop from 32% going into tech down to 15%. Yeah. Especially when you think about they're in Austin where there's a big tech hub. And so clearly, yeah, yeah things are slowing down on the tech hiring front as we've seen in the press. So, um, But no, otherwise, really amazing numbers. I think the other big hub that would probably comprise the Southwest would be like a place like Phoenix. So they probably, you know, Arizona placements probably are some of the number, but I think you're right. Yeah. It's got to be most, if not the, the lion's share is going to be Texas. Yeah. So yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, congrats to, I mean, both these schools, still amazing numbers. I and mean, we like to point out the little nuances and differences from one year to the next, but at the end of the day, um, coming out of these programs and making the kind of money that um, that they're offering uh, these these graduates is super impressive. So um, there you have it. So let's, um, I don't, there's no, no reviews came in Alex this week, but that's okay. You know, I got, we got some nice feedback from Lindsay when I had, had lunch with her and and then um, we had that review last week. But obviously, if you're thinking about the show and want to send us a note, you can write to info at clearedmit.com, use the subject line wiretaps, or you can go on Spotify or Apple and rate the show, leave a review um, if you can on Apple. We're always looking for more to sort of help spread the word. Otherwise, Alex, I'm ready to talk about the candidates if you are. Yeah, let's kick on. All right. So this is wiretaps candidate number one. So our first candidate this week is applying to 12 schools, and they've actually already submitted these applications via the consortium, um, which is a a special organization that really helps um, minority candidates um, with this sort of application process. It's like a a way to apply to almost like a common application. Um, So 12 schools on the list, Carnegie Mellon, Cornell, Emory, Georgetown, Indiana, Michigan, Rice, Washington Foster, UCLA Anderson, USC, UT Austin, and UVA. So that's the the list. Um, They're looking to start next fall. 
They've been working in marketing before business school, and they're looking to pivot over to tech and work for companies like Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, or Microsoft. Their GPA is a very strong 3.66. They've got eight years of work experience and they're located in Los Angeles and they're thinking about staying there in the long term after business school. Uh, they did share that they applied to these programs via the consortium. Uh, you'll note that I didn't offer up a test score and that's because they applied using a test waiver and they said due to their experience. So I don't know, um, so maybe something to do with the type of experience they have, but they got a waiver. And they mentioned one other tidbit, and then I'm going to turn this over to you, Alex. They say scholarships will play a major role in my decision. This is one of the reasons that I'm applying to several schools. So yeah, Alex, what do you make of this person's sort of chances at this group of schools? Um, and then specifically, what do you think about the scholarship? Yeah, unfortunately, we don't know a lot about this candidate, right? We do know that they got it. Well, they self-reported a 366 GPA, which is obviously um, a very nice um, um, academic record over a four-year period. So, so that's very good. As you mentioned, they waived the GMAT. They've got eight years of work experience, but unfortunately, we don't know the quality of that experience. So a lot of the success that they're going to have in, in the admissions process will stem from the quality of that um, particular work experience, the impact that they've been able to have over time, their growth, and so on and so forth, as we always talk about um, in terms of work experience, as, as, as well as then what are, the, what are their interests outside of work? What other things have they done? Again, um, that's not been um, articulated. So, so, so you know, a, a lot will depend on, on those, those two hours. If they're vo- both um, comparable, let's say, to a 366, i.e. very, very, very decent, um, then I might suggest that they weren't overly ambitious in their target schools, right? They, they've applied to 12, which um, is a lot, Obviously, but that you know, they were able to to accomplish that through um, through through the, the convenience of the consortium applications and so forth. Um, but but you know it's a smattering of um, a few um, top sixteen, sort of top twenty, um, sort of in, in in that target area. Um, I, I did notice, for, for example, Stern's not on the list, right? So I know the show isn't explicitly sponsored by Stern, <laughs> but I'm making this the Stern show, and they're not one of these twelve schools. Yeah, um, but 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 yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I don't think they're being overly ambitious if they do have a good track record at work and they have sort of you know a good goal focus and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, so 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 that's fine. Um, I am a little worried about this idea of the GMAT waiver. I don't like it um, for, for any candidate. Um, and, you know, I, I, it certainly doesn't um, add to the profile when, when, when you don't take the test. It, it, it removes a data point um, that um, is, is very useful for, for admissions officers. Um, so if, if this candidate, for example, had a 720 on the GMAT, um, you know, something comparable to that 366 GPA, for example, then, we, you know, they, they'd look like they'd have a you know, very, very strong sort of academic side of their profile anyway. Um, and where this might backfire a little bit for them, I think, you know, out of the 12 schools that they've targeted, as long as their work experience is decent and, and they come across as being a likable person and so on and so forth, some of the other stuff that Adcom might look at, um, they're probably going to get some offers, but where that 
Tesco might really help them is in the scholarships. And if they're really needing scholarships, um, they, they might be smart now to prep for, for, for the GMAT or GRE and even take it at, at this time past the deadline. Um, because it, it could come up if they end up on a wait list or could come up with scholarship negotiations and so on and so forth. So I'd encourage them to look at that, Graham. Yeah, you're making some really important points here. And I think the first is we don't know enough about this candidate, right? It'd be good to know more about, like you say, the work experience or even the outside activities. Um, but holding that aside, you know, um, I'm presuming they're an underrepresented minority. Um, so that puts a little bit of a feather in their cap and that they're going to be underrepresented in the pool and therefore more sought after. Uh, GPA is excellent. Let's assume the work is great and stuff. And so then we come back to these two points you're making, which is that, number one, they might be under aiming, right? If they, you know, yeah. the problem is I suspect that a lot of the higher ranked schools maybe wouldn't take the waiver, right? So that's that's an issue we see, right? And when you get into the very top ranked schools, some of them require the test, period, you know? So that that's potentially some of it. Um, but the other thing is, yeah, I, I, if, if scholarship dollars are important to this person, then take the test. I mean, that I, I hate to say it because I recognize, you know, there, there are all kinds of issues with testing and I, I get that. But it's a data point, as you say, and it's one that schools often use when they're thinking about scholarship dollars too. So I, I yeah, so that's the problem here is that they're going to get into some of these schools. They might get into many of these schools, but it's unclear to me that they're going to be maxing out their dollar potential with scholarships not having taken the test. So that that's yeah. the main the main issue. So then the question is, as you said, should they go out and take it um, and send in a score? Yeah, if they think that they could pull it off, I, I would do that. It can't hurt, right? I mean, obviously, if they don't do well on it, they don't have to send it in, right? But but hopefully, they could pull something together and and you know get get a score that's on par with where they need to be. So, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, sounds sounds good to me. Yeah. All right. So let's um thank them for that post and move on and talk about Wiretaps candidate number two. So our second candidate this week is actually an early bird. So they're going to be, you know, putting together their applications and looking to start in the fall of 2025. They've got six schools currently on their target list, and those schools are Columbia, Harvard, MIT, Stanford, Wharton, and Yale. Uh, this person's been in the military uh, pre-MBA, and after business school, they're thinking about venture capital or private equity. They have a 750 on the GMAT and a 365 GPA. They've got about five years of experience in the military. Um, they're located, they say, in the USA. They didn't specify, and they want to land in New York after business school. They mentioned that they are a service academy graduate. Uh, traditional combat arms. Um, they have overseas experience in high visibility, politically sensitive regions. Uh, extracurriculars are real estate. They're both an investor and a broker, and they're a longtime Habitat for Humanity volunteer. Post MBA, they're thinking about translate, sort of transitioning into real estate, private equity, or venture capital with a specific focus on prop tech or property tech, which is you know kind of tools and and software and things that help. Um, in, in that domain. And they talk about trying to solve the affordable housing crisis as being part of their goal. So yeah, Alex, what do you make of this candidate? Because I, I think, you know, some really great numbers and service academy grad. So going to be somewhat underrepresented as a military candidate in the pool. So there's a lot to like here, but what's your take? Yeah, so much to like here. I think um, obviously as an early bird candidate, they can get all their ducks in a row, get, get their applications in in the first round. Um, a 365 from the service academy, I, I, I assume that's very good, um, less grade inflation type stuff. Um, and 
you know, 750G map is, is, is absolutely outstanding. Right. Um, so let's assume their military experience sort of matches up to that. I, I, I imagine it does in terms of being really impactful um, and, and, you know, leadership and growth and so on and so forth. Um, and, the, and their outside of work experience dovetails nicely with their goals in terms of they're already sort of investing in, in real estate and, and even the Habitat volunteer stuff is sort yeah, of, very consistent. Um, somewhat related, right? Yeah. Especially as they're, they're looking at solving affordable housing crisis, et cetera, et cetera. So lots and lots of stuff here really lines up well. Um, the only sort of... Um, thing that I hesitated a little bit and sort of uh, queried a little bit is their goals, right? So, so their goals are in real estate, which makes perfect sense. But I'm not sure that stepping straight into private equity venture capital um, is as accessible um, as you know. I mean, I mean, that's just difficult, right? Now, they're they're targeting the very best programs. Um, so, you know, Stanford, Harvard, Wharton, and so on and so forth, which will increase their option um, for, for, for making that kind of transition. But I wonder, Graham, if doing some investment banking as, a, an, as an interim step um, or something like that might be more palatable um, for, for the very top programs in terms of making sure that their goals are fully realistic, as well as perhaps investment banking as, you know, for a period of time will really help them um, the set them up um, for, for, for what they want to do. And I assume in investment banking, you can do a focus um, on, on real estate. Yeah. So I think, um, I think you're right. Like, I, I think it would be a little more palatable to hear this person saying, you know, I want to do some, you know, work in finance and the most common well-worn path into that industry would be investment banking. And and they could try to get um, specialized in that domain of kind of real estate or prop tech and, and see, you know, yeah. if that's kind of, could be a, an area that they focused on doing deals in. But yeah, so that, that would be a, a you know, a really, really reasonable and, and feasible kind of short-term plan for them. And then they could make the move into pure PE um, for that domain. So yeah, I, I like that idea. I think that'll just because otherwise they're making a pretty big leap, right? I mean, it's, I know that they've been doing kind of, as you say, extracurricular kind of part-time stuff with real estate um, in parallel to kind of their military career, but that's a whole other, I mean, this is a big, a kind of a big difference. It's kind of a hobby versus, you know, it's like saying, well, I've been investing in the stock market a little bit and then versus right. wanting to actually work on Wall Street. So yeah, so I, I think it would be smart for them to, to do that. Otherwise, there is a lot to like, as we often say um, here. And, and so, yeah, I mean, gosh, Service Academy, great numbers. They should be able to get into any number of these programs. And you know, I mean, I, they do want to be in New York afterwards. So I, I, I was kind of noticing it's like they have the M7 type schools on here, but they don't have Chicago, they don't have Kellogg, um, and instead they throw in Yale. And I presume that's because they're trying to keep their geography clustered in the Northeast with the exception of Stanford, right? So um, yeah, it's just an interesting, I, I guess they've thought this all through and, and that is, yeah. a, you know, it's a great, great list of schools, can't go wrong. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I would work on the goals and they have time because they're not going to apply until probably next fall to start the following fall. So they have a lot of time to figure out the goals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So I want to thank them for their service and for sharing their story on the site. Um, let's move on, though, and talk about Wiretap's candidate number three. So our final candidate this week comes from a decision wire entry that was posted. This uh, applicant po uh, applied to Chicago Booth, Columbia, Kellogg, NYU, and Yale. 
and they ended up getting into Booth, Columbia, and NYU Stern. They actually got a $160,000 scholarship at NYU Stern, which is a free ride. Um, so free ride there, no dollars from Booth or Columbia. They're going to be starting school this fall. Uh, they want to work in consulting or maybe venture capital. Um, they have a bunch of, <laughs> their list was like consulting, VC, consumer goods, family business, entrepreneurship. So they, they have a lot of potential possibilities. Um, they had a GRE score of 333 and a GPA of 3.6. Uh, they're located in New Jersey. And they mentioned that they are an entrepreneur, kind of a consumer background, and that they want to use the MBA to explore other industries. They're very interested in VC. And they mentioned that they think that because they're interested in VC, Booth has an edge, but they're debating between Booth at full sticker and Stern with a full ride. In this economy, while current students are having difficulty securing internships, should I pay for Booth at sticker price? That's their question. So yeah, Alex, what do you make of this? It's kind of an interesting dilemma. I mean, they have these three offers, Booth and Columbia with no money and Stern with a free ride. Yeah, it's a classic case, isn't it? Yeah. Um, really. <laughs> Getting, getting a really good offer um, from Stern, which we would consider in a tier lower than, um, than, than, than Columbia and Booth. Um, I mean, obviously still an outstanding program, but when you're getting a full ride and you're in New York, um, with all the opportunities to do in, in semester sort of networking and various other things in New York City, um, I think that's a really, really compelling offer. Um, I think it's muddied a little bit by the, by the fact that they they one of their interests is sort of venture capital, and for that reason they they're thinking that Booth might actually be the better offer. Um, but I think that the the rate of folks go, going from Booth to venture capital is still quite low, um, um, you know, versus let's say Harvard, Stanford, and so forth. Um, so it's still a bit of a long shot. So I don't think I'd make my decision fully based on which program most likely will get me into venture capital. I think I would hedge a little bit more, maybe make consulting my principal um, 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 short-term goal um, and so forth, because that's then accessible out of all three of these programs. And I think Columbia and Booth would be comparable. And Stern, obviously, with its, with its great... Um, 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 offer um, elevate Stern into the same group and so then it becomes do you want to be in New York City um, post MBA or do you want a bit more flexibility and obviously Booth can get you to New York City but being in New York City at, at Stern or Columbia might might be um, a, a, be, a, be, a better choice there's not an easy answer to this Graham um, despite the fact that I've qualified Stern as a sponsor of this program <laughs> um, episode today um, but this is quite a common dilemma for, for top-tier candidates, right? Um, a, a, a great offer um, at Stern and then offers at, at, at um, you know, programs that you would consider part of the M7 in, 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 in you know, one tier higher. Yeah, it is, it's an interesting dilemma. I will say, I mean, this is a free ride at Stern, which is mm. more than, you yeah. know, so sometimes you'll see like, oh, I've got like 60 grand from Yale and no money at Columbia or something. You say, okay, you know, that, you know, but this is a big, it's a big dollar amount. And yeah, yeah it, it, it's, I, I guess I, I would love to know more about this candidate and to get them to like work really hard to figure out 
their career plan? Because right now they're kind of, you know, I mean, they literally say, oh, consulting, venture capital, consumer goods, family business, entrepreneurship, <laughs> it's just like sort of anything really. And so if they could hone in on what it is they want to do um, and where, that might help too. But I, I will say yeah. like it, it is, you know, I mean, yeah, the market's a little go, going a little sideways now in terms of you see some softness in hiring. And so that does, you know, these schools that are offering you a free ride become all the more compelling. And I mean, yeah, just it, it's, it's, it's challenging. I mean, I, I will say, um, and I'm influenced because I was just on campus, but being at Stern, you know, there's, there is a lot going on in New York. There's a lot um, on offer. Um, we were, you know, I was learning as I was talking to some of the admissions staff about some of the, like you say, in semester opportunities to do things. Yeah. And yeah, so it, it it's a big, um, you know, it's a, it's a good place to be. You were saying before we came on air, you were kind of curious about why they just decided between it's either Booth or Stern, like they didn't put Columbia into that mix. And I think that was actually an interesting question too. Um, yeah, I yeah. Guess, I mean, that, yeah. that's my point though, is how attractive is New York to this person and how valuable is being in New York for their MBA right. versus being in Chicago? Because like you say, in semester opportunities, I think is something that the New York-based programs can offer that's not comparable at any other sort of type of pro, you know, top yeah. program. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So I don't think we have a great answer here, but I will say that I think you said it best when Stern with those dollars to me becomes yeah. into the same group. And so you have to yeah. really, I think they need to go to the welcome events and talk to current students, uh, think about their goals and their geography, you know, sort of preferences and then go from there. But yeah, not an easy <laughs> dilemma. And you, you, you sometimes call this out too, Graham, the value of having a scholarship, right? Right. So putting um, that on your resume. I mean, it, it, yeah. it means a couple of different things. One is you can put it on your resume. Two, it sort of, it, it, it signals from the school that you're one of its top candidates. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that regard, the opportunities coming out of the school, you should be at the top of the heap in terms of getting access to those opportunities. So, right. so there is value in, in the school signaling to you that you're, you're a full ride, right? Yeah, and you can imagine in your interviews for jobs, you know, um, you yeah. know how did you wind up at Stern? Oh, I, you know, I was drawn to the program, but also I was offered a free, you know, full scholarship. Yeah. And that, that's it's yeah. like a pretty clear signal of how the school values you, right? So yeah. in any event, yeah, very good food for thought here. Appreciate you picking this one out um you know and it wasn't it was just coincidental it wasn't actually yeah. <laughs> <laughs> planned in this way um but anyway now appreciate it and, and obviously some good conversations today about these three different candidates and the dilemmas they all face in terms of presenting their candidacy or making a choice so thanks alex and yeah we'll do it all again next week uh yeah so appreciate you doing this alex <laughs> yeah very good um good luck everyone stay safe